0: In this episode of the Crumpled Papers podcast, I am joined by longtime friend Lisey Axelson as we discuss some of our shared experiences growing up in the same childhood church, including the damaging effects that can result from church's unhealthy navigation of guy-girl relationships. This week's conversation is based on the topics and themes in chapter seven of my book, A Jumble of Crumpled Papers. If you enjoyed today's conversation and haven't read the book, the link to pick it up is in the description below. If you're a first time listener, I would highly recommend you go back and listen to our intro episode, episode zero, to get brought up to speed on what this podcast is all about. But without further ado, enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Crumpled Papers podcast. My name is Austin Knoll, and on this episode, I'm joined by a a special guest in that we have a lot of shared experiences. I think that's the right way, way to say this, because we grew up together in church. Um, I'm joined today by my good friend, Lisi Axelson, or Lisa, I don't know, your real name is Lisa, but people call you Lisi. I don't know, we call you Lisey. Right? I don't know.
1: You can call me Lisey, it's fine.
0: (laughs) Okay, so Lisey. And if you're listening to this, this is kind of spilling the beans a little bit. If you have read the book, there is a story in chapter 10 about a girl named Riley. And I mentioned in the chapter that that's a pseudonym, it's not the real person's name. But you are actually Riley. You are Riley. Even though your story is in chapter 10 in the book, um, I wanted to bring you on for this episode, Chapter 7, because this episode is all about um, a big dynamic which plays into a lot of a lot of all of our stories, but a lot of her story in particular, and that is the general relationship and dynamic between guys and girls, especially at a younger age growing up, and how that's navigated by many, if not most, churches. Um, so... Hi, Lisi. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, Austin. Thanks for having me on.
0: And I know we have a lot to talk about here. We have a lot of obviously shared stories we want to get through that paint a a, a good backdrop for this conversation. Now, usually I ask the guest to tell their story first thing. But being that I think that your story is going to take up a, a good amount of this podcast, I want to make sure I get this out of the way first. And I want to ask you this. Based on your own experiences and maybe experiences of people you know, what are your kind of preliminary overall thoughts about guy-girl dynamics in the church and the way churches, specifically unhealthy churches, navigate or tend to navigate that dynamic?
1: Well, this is actually a really important question because I've actually been thinking about this and how it affects our lives later. As we grow up and the things that we learn through what they teach us, they they teach us really during pivotal parts of our lives. And I feel like a lot of those unspoken messages or spoken messages stick with us through our adult lives and affect our relationships. Um, And I feel like a lot of the things that they teach us come from good intentions Um, of them wanting to make sure that our lives are okay or that we're able to follow Jesus in a certain way. But it gets lost in translation through a lot of fear of us messing up. And so a lot of the relationship stuff they teach us, it starts off as like, hey, be healthy in your relationships. Don't give away your heart to people who are gonna break it. And then when they watch us trying to form these relationships it's it's very much a parenting dynamic of instead of being able to just let us live our lives, they feel the need to step in and tell us how to, and it ruins a lot of our being able to make those boundaries and choices ourselves is we never really learn how to make those relationships healthy on our own without somebody monitoring and telling us how to do everything or like confessing our thoughts all the time.
0: No, that's, that's just so true. I mean, I have friends that will... We'll call each other on the phone every couple months and just talk about our experiences. And this is the biggest thing that kind of is the is the roadblock for us, kind of going forward. It's it's may have been like one of the hardest things to kind of break and unlearn because I think you mentioned you, you hit on the, the nail on the head about it's a it's a it's a question of trust. It, there's so little, at, at least in right in the unhealthy examples of churches that handle it in an unhealthy way. There's such a an a lack of trust in us to be able to navigate that that ourselves and trust that we kind of want the best and are not just trying to completely wreck ourselves and anyone else around us. You know what I mean? Um, So I think trust is a really big thing. So I, I think that's really, really true. Yeah. And before we go any further, I want to add this kind of as a backdrop to the conversation, as some context growing up from middle school all the way through high school. There was such a division between guys and girls because of the awkwardness and the standards and the expectations we were constantly preached at from our leaders of don't do this. Don't do this. You're always right on the cusp of failing and and doing something wrong and, and being punished by God and whatever. So we were we were terrified out of our minds all the time of doing something wrong, even though we were all very well-intentioned, good-hearted kids. We all were. Yeah. and And we were terrified out of our minds because we thought we were one step away from just completely messing up our relationship with God and messing up the person that we're talking to's faith or whatever. Growing up, at least from my experience, it felt like intermingling with the opposite gender was the most risky road to take on your road to God. And hanging out with them or being around them was like the biggest potential threat to your good standing with God because it was so easy for things to go wrong. So we we guys and girls rarely interacted normally. Early I interacted at all, but when they did, it was always very awkward and very weighted because we felt like we would have make the moment that we're talking matter and mean something because we're awkward and we're gonna. We know <laughs> we're gonna get split up really fast and and not talk anymore. And, and there's so many miscommunicated and non-communicated thoughts. I, I base this all by saying. This happens anyway in, reg- in the regular world with kids that are this age. But add to it the layer of it's tied directly to our relationship with God and our faith and our well-being and our everything like that. It's a whole nother layer. But with that all out of the way, I brought you on today to tell us your story. And the, the majority of this episode is going to be centered around and revolving around different parts of your story, some of which I'm a part of, some of which I'm not. Um, But now that those preliminary things have been discussed as a good contextual backdrop, the floor is yours. Why don't you start by giving us a general overview of yourself, of your background in regards to church and faith and all that stuff, and then take it wherever you want to go.
1: Okay. Okay. Okay, so I was a kingdom kid who grew up in the same church as you, Austin, and growing up there, I was there from ages about three until 21, and so I, oh, Lord, I went through all of our classes together. We pretty much had all of the same kingdom classes and all of the stuff like that, but yeah, as soon as, I guess, I want to say nine- Maybe it was around nine or 10 that we started having these discussion groups, and I became the problem child. Because um, I took it seriously when they said confess your sins daily and I was just like, here's everything I ever thought since the beginning of time.
0: I mean, how are you supposed to take it? That sounds like a very valiant effort to me.
1: Well, I was a very talkative kid. I loved the fact that <laughs> I wanted to know what I had to say about my life. And so I told them everything and they soon realized that I was different than most kids who wanted to keep things to myself so they would quickly be like no no don't talk about that during these groups don't talk about this that's too heavy for your group and i was like what why and they were like Like, what's
0: the group for then
1: literally and so they would like pull me to the side and i'd only talk to the leaders or they put me in an older girl group hoping that like maybe these girls can handle it and i was like uh i'm sorry does everybody not have crushes is this not normal
0: and they'd say, no, it's not. Like,
1: well <laughs> no. to have crushes this frequently or talk about your crush this often. And I was like, uh at our at all of our sleepovers, we talk about this all the time. So I know I know somebody's lying somewhere. Right. Exactly. And so it was like it was set from the very beginning that I was used as the I don't want to say the example. So when I ended up talking to one of um one of our friends that we grew up with, one of my best friends, two, three years ago, we were talking about this and she was telling me, she was like, we learned what not to say by watching how they dealt with
0: you. Wow, yeah. Harsh, but actually, I mean, that's true.
1: It's very accurate.
0: That is, that's in my book a little bit. I kind of say that out. One of the biggest, I think, elements in that youth group stage with leader and, and leader and then youth member dynamic was trying to drill in these things to us for, for for mostly good intention. I think most of the time, they're trying to drill in these life truths and these things that you should and shouldn't do. But it's much easier when you have a clear example of what not to do. And I don't think they think about it that that intentionally as, oh, let's use this person as an example. But when you find someone who is like, oh, this is what you don't do, Sometimes people take advantage of that and go, here, poster child, here you go. And that's kind of the role you fell into because you were naturally doing the things that they kind of writ- wrote down, right? Like, here, don't do this, don't do this. Oh, here, at least doing that. See, don't do that. This is what happens. And they wanted to use that moment to then make an example of the repercussions and the punishment kind of. Does that sound accurate?
1: Yeah, that's very accurate, honestly.
0: That sucks. <laughs> God. <laughs>
1: I, jumping ahead, I guess, I talked to a leader before I left our church and she and I had a conversation and I asked her, I was like, all those years where I was thrown under the bus and I was like brought before these adults as a teen or preteen to apologize for like this really dumb stuff that I did, why did you choose to do that to me? like why did you choose to like destroy my self-confidence in exchange for these adults not gossiping? Because when I asked about it, she was like, oh, the entire church was gossiping about these incidents. And I figured that if you just talked about it and apologized and they saw that you were sorry, that they would stop gossiping.
0: And I was like- like, where does that fall onto my shoulders? (laughs) They're gossiping about me, the whole church? If the the whole, I mean, obviously it's an exaggeration, the whole church, but you're right. Like for the, mostly the, the majority of the leaders, in cases I was involved in too, like if they're all gossiping about you, where is that my problem? Why is that my fault? (laughs) (laughs) Literally. There's a a structural issue there, I think, especially considering the fact that, and we'll get into this more too, most of these things, almost all these things that we're going to talk about happened between elementary, middle, and high school and some college. Like you were a kid. You were a young person against in many cases, these full-grown adults and these institutional system you know, structures and stuff like that of the church.
1: It, it Literally, it was like, and when I talked to her, she was like, I didn't know what I was exactly doing, she goes, but it, at the time it seemed like it was either you or them, and I picked the majority, and I didn't realize what damn that would do to you. And I was like, you picked the majority
0: over a 12-year-old? And you're 9, 10, 11, 12, like, even, even older than that, like... That's so young and so impressionable. It's the, f- the stages of life where you're... I mean, you're still figuring out who you are until high school and college and whatever. But at 12, you're still figuring out your last name, how to spell your last name right. Like, I mean, that level of... Maybe not 12. Maybe that was just me. But, <laughs> but there's so many parts of you that are still question marks. And to introduce this shame and stuff about that and tie it into god which is a big foundational aspect especially when you grew up in church of yourself it's a dangerous slope into how that evolves in your identity and self-worth later on um but for, i have a question for you just to just to put more context into this so you i don't think we, we've really outlined exactly the things you were doing what were the things that okay at 9 through 12 what were some of the things that were very adamantly told that you shouldn't be doing that you were and to what oh, extent
1: god okay so Um, I don't know if you want to talk about this yet, but one of the first events that I was called out for was the Truth or Dare game.
0: Yep, okay, so I think it may be good to talk about this first and explain this first, because I think it does set, for both of us, it sets a very important foundation for where all this progresses to. Was it middle school? 6th, 7th grade? 11, 12?
1: Yeah, it was beginning of middle school.
0: And one more thing, in this chapter, in chapter 7, I do tell the story of this Truth or Dare game, but I don't mention who was involved in it with me. But this is a little bit of some behind-the-scenes info. It was also you, Lisey. So you were Riley as well as the person involved in this Truth or Dare game. So there's some connections there that, that you don't quite get in the book because of the fact that you were anonymous in the book. Yeah. See, that's what the listeners are paying for, right? All the inside scoops. I mean, this is a free podcast, but still. In essence, we were at a leader's house on, I believe it was a Sunday after church, with, with a few other friends in our age group. And a Truth or Dare game broke out, as it does, I don't know how it happened, but it just, you know, someone said, hey, let's play Truth or Dare. I'm like, okay, why not? As the angsty pre-teens that we were, Right. And altogether, it was a very short game. Like, I think we may have gone just one round around the, the group. And at that time, you and I had a little crush on each other. And I was dared to kiss you on the cheek. And at this age, that's like, that's like, oh, whoa, what?
1: You dared to kiss me. And you were like, I'm not kissing her on the lips. Ew. And Did was, that happen?
0: Like, I don't remember that at all. Yeah. I, I see. I've noticed since writing this book that that many of these accounts I am very foggy on. Even though I have a pretty good memory, I think. I think I've locked a lot of it out. <laughs> but so yeah. Okay, so from your memory, what would happen? happened? You seem to know more than I do.
1: Yeah. So we were doing a bunch of dares. And at that point, everybody knew that we kind of liked each other. So we're sitting around. And of course, we do the first round and whatnot. And the first round was truth. And so they asked you, and they were like, Austin is the true like, we And you were like, yes. <laughs> and everyone was like, ah! and we were like, this was known information, you idiots. <laughs> <laughs> and then I guess we so we moved the game outside because at first we were in the leader's son's bedroom and then they
0: told us we couldn't. You we were? I don't remember that. Yeah, we couldn't,
1: we couldn't be in there. They told us we couldn't be in there. They were like, "You guys can't be in here as a boy-girl group alone." And we were like, "Okay, fine, we'll go outside."
0: So we'll do boy-girl group <laughs> outside. <laughs> yeah,
1: outside where the birds. Yeah. Are like, yes or something. I don't know. Yeah. Um. And so we went outside, and that was when I guess it was like another loop or whatever and then they asked you truth or dare and you were like okay dare and they were like uh we dare you to kiss Lisi. and you were like uh it's a little bro we're like 12 and so i was like panicking and you were panicking
0: this i think was just pure just preteen angst regardless of church stuff it was just that you know everyone's been through a situation like this when they're growing up sure just that angsty whatever
1: yeah. I kept walking off and cause everybody's trying to like watch us and we're like trying to make a plan of like, what do we do to get out of this? Cause like we both, yeah. we looked at each other and we were like, this isn't happening. And you were
0: like, right. Yeah. This
1: is happening. And I was like, what do we do? And so eventually we ended up behind this car and I was like staring through the window to look at them and you like kissed me on the cheek. And I was like,
0: right. I remember that. Yeah.
1: And you like walked off and you were like, I'm very confident in my choice. And we were like, it's done. And they were like, Oh my God. And everybody was all excited.
0: Yeah. And the the whole through line of this, I think the whole through line of this, just for con for the foundation of where we're going with all this is. First off, we, we, we didn't want to make this, this big thing. We didn't want this to happen. (laughs) And it was, it was, you know, compared to any other, uh, teen coming of age, angsty, whatever moment or, or story. It was so small. It was so minuscule in what happened and in its effect of, of what it meant or, or anything. Yeah, it was something that, that, that we, we were like, yeah, it's the best thing to be doing. Probably not. But stuff like that happens all the time when you're growing up. And you have to navigate it. And yeah, it happens. Then, okay, was that a great decision or was it not? Talk through it, think through it, and process it and get over it. That's how it works. But it was so small by any other standard other than in a church setting. I think because it was, because we were so involved in our church and because it happened in a quote unquote church atmosphere, it innately became such a bigger thing than it would have if we were just non Christian kids not being looked at through that lens or that standard or expectancy.
1: It was blown out of the water as something big because. I guess because nobody else really got to see the fact that you just, like, pecked me on the cheek. Everybody was like, oh yeah. my gosh.
0: Yeah, and then what happened? It was I think it was, it was a couple of weeks went by, maybe. It might have been a lot less. I, f- I forget. But let's say a couple of weeks went by and there was a Friday night uh, devotional where all the, uh, our whole group of kids met together, right? And I happened to not have gone to this particular Friday Night Devo because I forget. I was reading a book or something. And in essence, I suddenly began getting all these texts and calls from friends and different people that were there asking me, What happened? What did you do? And I I had no clue what they were talking about. And it turns out that, long story short, and I didn't find this out till years later, somebody who had had a crush on me at the same time had told you that I had said some things about you that weren't true that I never said like like I didn't like you and and she's this and this and this and which I had never said um so then you know that was typical middle school drama but that happened and that of course made you upset and you apparently had some kind of, you know, you started crying and it was in the middle, middle of Devo and people were wondering what's, what was going on and you were mad at me. And so people didn't know what happened, but they knew that I had done something to make you mad. And that has how, you know, that led to people figuring out pretty, I mean, that night that we'd had this truth or dare game and whatever, whatever. Even though it wasn't really connected to why you were upset, but it ended up kind of being that thing that, led to that coming out.
1: Yeah. I was like panicking and freaking out and it just suddenly our group was like canceled because Lisey had a breakdown.
0: <laughs> you <Yay>. know <laughs> you know the usual. It came out. Like talk to my parents about it. I'm sure you talked to your parents about it. I, I forget I don't know. But then we we had a talk with some of the leaders about it, which okay. Like there are leaders in this. I, I think in a perfect world, that, should be a thing the kids deal with with their parents and talk talk it through and like okay should you've done that best decision maybe not okay, um, but being that we were so wrapped up with our youth group the leaders we talked to the leaders about it what were you gonna say?
1: No, I was yeah I talked to my mom and she was excited for me because she knew what a big crush I had. On <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: I was, I See stuff like that <laughs> in a normal world it's so we did nothing bad,
1: literally did nothing, nothing bad. wrong.
0: So we had our talks with our parents. And, and resolved it with them, which should be the final line anyway in any relationship I feel like. Then we talked to the leaders because that in the environment we grew up in, that was the natural next step. You should talk to your leaders about what happened. And I forget most of those preliminary talks, just like talking it through. I forget it was individually. And then we talked together, I guess, whatever. But I just remember, and I'll let you speak of anything you remember about this all. But I, I remember just the jump from uh, youth that year's youth camp being relatively less in the next couple of weeks after that, sometime after that happened. And I just remember thinking it was resolved and I we, we came out with it and we talked about it. Great. And it just did not drop. It kept coming back up. There kept being more talks about it. And every time we were talking about the same stuff, but it felt like no matter how quote unquote resolved it became, which... It was already this, such a minuscule thing. No matter how resolved it became, it kept being drilled into us that this was wrong, and you need to be reprimanded even further and talked about more. And I don't know. What are your memories of all this stuff? I
1: think every time a new person came into the group, they would notice the divide between the boys and the girls, and then they yes. would that we were at the center of it.
0: Once this happened between us, everyone we found out everyone everyone found out which. I don't know back then if the whole church found out. I don't know if they, how much they cared. But the youth ministry, for sure, everyone knew. And almost immediately, there was a rift made between all the guys and all the girls. Because it was already so angsty and so dramatic and so rigid between guys and girls because of the way we were brought up. When something finally tangibly happened between us, it was like, do you know when you when you have um, those colored dyes and water and you drop a, drop a soap in it and it all just expands and separates? Yeah, it felt like that. Where immediately the guys and girls took sides. Yeah, just because, and not even necessarily because we were all friends. I wasn't friends with all the guys. You weren't friends with all the girls. But they felt obliged to separate and fortify, and it, it made it ten times worse between us. And I felt responsible. I don't know if you felt responsible, but I was like, this is our this is our fault, clearly.
1: Yeah, and so every time somebody new came into our youth group. They were immediately informed of why it was like this. And then they were told about the truth or dare game. I was like, why does this new person who's been here a day know about this? Because then they'd come to me and they'd be like, is it true? And I'd be like, is what true? And they'd be like, the truth or dare game.
0: I totally forgot about this. That, that, it was, that was more or less true in many. Like I had a guest, one of my cousins, or like we call them our cousins, they're not, but our cousins. Came to a Devo, and it was like, I don't remember the timeline, but it was a while after this happened, like maybe a year. I don't know. But our, my cousins were in town, and they came with me to the, uh, a youth group on a Friday night. And we came out of it, and they got in the car, and they said, so what happened between you and Lisi? <laughs> and I'm like, and my mom, I remember my mom's reaction. She was like, who told you about this, and what, why? Oh, God. Uh... Are you kidding me? Why is there an obligation to make it known to everyone who comes in that this happened? And it happened a year ago and it was such a small... It's all these different elements of like, what is your end goal here with this?
1: We stood no chance of having a friendship in this environment and it sucks.
0: (laughs) I mean, there was so... And this is a whole different thing too. I mean, so much shame. And it was intentional shame. It wasn't... There's a line though because I feel like So many people that were involved, leaders especially, who were involved in a lot of this shame and stuff this drilling into us. I do believe in this scenario that somewhere they had good intention. Somewhere along the line, it started off with, we love these people, want the best for them at some point. But it got so diluted because all these things kept getting in the way of that. And the love and the grace and the forgiveness and the genuine wanting us to know better and learn was compromised over and over again for this like expectancy and obligation to drill into us that it was wrong and make sure no one else does it and make sure everyone else strays away from falling into the same thing we did and <laughs> blowing things out of proportion and so many different things and we're these 12 year olds in the middle of all of this just getting the brunt of every blow.
1: We were getting qualified at like preteen camps. Like that's the thing, is we had that meeting at preteen camp because of all the gossip. And, like, we had to stand in front of all of those kids and explain again what happened and the fact that we were sorry. And it wasn't like they were reprimanding the people gossiping. It was us. No. It was was us. us.
0: Just to to quickly summarize the different things that happened, because this could go on for a long time, detailing all the different things that happened as a result of this Truth or Dare game, but the three biggest things were... And these, the reason why these matter so much is because they all happened after it was already quote-unquote resolved with our parents and with the leaders already. So that already happened. We were already resolved. We talked through it. It was done with. And then youth camp happened that year. I'd say about just a few weeks after the Truth or Do I game happened. And within the four and a half days of that camp... there were three different things to my memory that happened. The first, and I'm not sure in what order they happened, but the first that I remember was we were brought into the main hall. It was called Melnitz Hall. Uh, At night, after the last worship session, so nobody was outside. They were all going to their cabins to go to sleep. We were called in there, you and me and a friend you had, with two of the main leaders, just to, once again... Talk through it. There's no added reason just to once again in these white fold-out chairs just discuss and go over what happened, which everyone there knew what happened. We talked through it already, but we're going through it again. The second thing that happened was that I think maybe the day after or shortly after this, we had to once again you and me uh, and maybe the other people involved in the two dr game. I don't think they they got a lot of slack. They got let off on most of the stuff, so I think it was just you and me.
1: They got to vaguely be mentioned, but we had to stand up and apologize.
0: Yep. Yeah. What do you remember about it?
1: Um, I just remember, oh gosh, I remember they like vaguely addressed it and then they made us talk about it in front of everybody and go over it. And then they were like, you have to tell them to stop gossiping. And we were like, you're the adult right. person, you. And so we had to like address them like standing at the front, but we couldn't, we weren't like, we were so awkward around each other at this point. We weren't like, a team, we weren't looking at each other. like We were so uncomfortable, and so we were like, yes, guys, please stop talking about this. No, it's not healthy to gossip about this. We're sorry it happened.
0: Yeah, and after that, I mean, naturally, we thought it was done. Like, come on, this has been going on way too long. So much overboard action for this. And yet on the last day, once again, the ent- our entire ministry, 6th, 7th, 8th grade, and all the leaders from our ministry met, i going never forget this image, on, out in the bleachers at the soccer field, and you and me were brought up in front of them, once again, to apologize. I forget really what happened, but it was to apologize for what happened, again.
1: Uh, it was just it was terrible and then it was like it ruined that preteen camp for me because like anytime i caught a glimpse of you everybody around you would scramble and you'd just turn around and run and i was like no
0: yeah i mean and that's the thing too is we were cool and then we liked each other for a little while and then it got awkward and then everything got ruined and then those sides were taken the rift between guys and girls and for my experience my perspective it was okay I'm on the guy's side. They're the girl's side. I have an obligation now to be against anything that you were involved in. Because you were... You were... Even though we were both involved, like, like the guys still mostly took my side. And, like, oh, you were... It was her fault. Or whatever. Whatever was said. I don't remember what was said. But it was that idea of, okay, I now need to stick to this and be like, oh, no, I'm anti leasey This is not happening. So we became... I'm putting air quotes here. If you, you can't see it, it's not a video podcast. But we we were like arch enemies, yeah, for like years because we had to be, and we didn't want to be. But I mean, for a while there, for a while, I think I believed it enough to be like, oh yeah, I don't want anything to do with her. It's just drama. But it was always like I didn't really feel that way. I'm like, no, she's fine. And like, but every time we were together, it was we felt that anyone watching us, especially our age, expected us to be like like Yu-Gi-Oh card dueling each other. Like <laughs> like we were just, you know what I mean? Always the glaring eyes and the snide rem- side remarks and whatever else. Oh. And it was so unhealthy. Like the expectation to do that when you're 12, 13.
1: Well, it's like, I'm glad I didn't have a cell phone, but anytime a cell phone was around, handed to me with like your number or your Snapchat and we would just bicker for hours.
0: <laughs> I remember that.
1: It was just like, it was like, they would be like, nope, we're calling Austin. Here, have the phone. And we were, I was like, sitting in a Costco line waiting for me. They were feeding
0: the fire. They were feeding the fire. Like, oh, here's Austin's number. You want to talk?
1: All they wanted was drama. And you were just like, you, I, I can't speak for you, but I'm pretty sure you dreaded every call from any teenage girl after. I did. Like, because I I was somehow always on the other line and you were like, what? It was like they fed the fire and it just became like this vindictive thing of everybody was involved in our fights. And so it was like we would argue and we'd bicker and we'd just jab at each other for literally no reason. Like, yeah. it was like there was no reason, but we were just like, oh, yeah, sure.
0: I think one of the reasons also that we were so inclined to be arch enemies rather than friends was because it was just so much easier. Yes. It was I mean, it was still difficult for its own reasons, but it was. That's
1: what the- addressed us fighting all the time but no 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 that's not Oh I know.
0: Problem. No that was fine when we when we fought and were mean to each other there was no group talks there was no you're doing wrong there were no leaders meetings there was nothing.
1: Nothing.
0: <laughs> They'd much rather us hate each other and have that malice rather than being friends but having to actually deal with a kiss on the cheek and a two three o game when we were <laughs> 11. The priorities were so out of whack. Yeah. But anyway, so that's, that was the context of all this stuff going forward. I want to let you... I feel, like, I feel like I'm talking too much because, I mean, it's, it's a little bit different, I guess, because this was a shared experience, so I have memories and stuff I wanted to bring out too. But um, I want to give you the floor to tell the rest of your story, because there's a lot more that goes on with this. This is just the first part, kind of. A lot of my friends and everyone knew exactly what happened. They knew a 2-3-0 game happened, and they were never told exactly what we did. So, of course, their minds go to all the the worst things based on what they're seeing, how it's reacted to. Yeah. And then you, that happens. You have that poster child, and it keeps going for years, and you've... Out of the truth-or-dare game people, we were the ones grabbed for the poster children. And then as time went on, it slowly shifted less off of me and just primarily onto you.
1: It's funny because actually Austin Noel was looked at as this beautiful poster child for sweet and innocent and a good disciple and look at how kind and nice he is and man 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 man, man. every time i heard you I, know, did, I,
0: I did a lot of favors to get back up to that standing
1: oh <laughs> lord i was just like oh yeah awesome. <laughs> oh
0: my gosh no i mean i, I bet you felt like, i mean i bet honestly you felt like are you kidding me this kid gets off and he's fine now and i'm still left with all Everybody this crap
1: you. like all you had oh i remember <laughs> you had all the friends and i was like He gets to have friends? What the heck? What happened to me?
0: It's just because they needed a scapegoat, and they they put it on you, and you had to take the brunt of that, just with all of our social dynamics and everything.
1: Yeah. And then after that, it was kind of like, that put a target on my back. And so it was like, that event was talked about a lot. And then anytime I liked a boy, it became church, I don't want to say discourse, but it became like church gossip. Of like, oh my God, she likes my child now. Run for the hill. (laughs) And so it was like, I would notice it like walking around the courtyard or whatever. Or I would have a mom approach me and be like, hey, so I heard you liked my son. And I wanted to talk about the fact that like, I'm not comfortable with you hanging out with him. My God,
0: like, like there's so many just, so many just weird things about that in and of itself.
1: Like they would like pull me and my parents to the side and be like, so we want to talk about that and the fact that we're not comfortable with them like, hanging out or being alone or being near each other. And I was just like, I'm 10, bro.
0: No, for like, like you're 10 years old.
1: (laughs) Like I was just like, it was a terrible, terrible dynamic. Yeah. Nobody was allowed to like me like that. And it carried on. I hate to say this, but it carried that dynamic of me being the black sheep. It carried on through adulthood. Sure. Like, anybody we grew up with knew better than to associate with me, which was so weird. Because, okay, yeah. so I ended up trying to date um one of our peers from childhood. And we got into a big fight one time because I didn't let him think about his words, which I had a bad issue with. I would just rush him to tell me what was <laughs> on his mind. And he was like, I need to think. So one of the times I didn't let him think, um, and I was like, why don't you want to, like, publicly date me kind of a thing and he got frustrated and the first thing that came out of his mouth was because in the church's eyes you're bottom of the barrel hmm. and I was like what? wow
0: yeah and this this is also a very good guy
1: yeah he's he's a awesome great guy amazing guy who like would never have said that if I hadn't pushed him but like honestly no that was that is genuinely the way that I was portrayed
0: I mean, no, not knowing the situation, I don't feel inclined to accredit that to his character. I almost feel right. inclined to accredit that to... He's calling the shots like they are. It, it, and obviously, you weren't bottom of the barrel literally, but you were viewed and portrayed as, this is the off-limits zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and he, yeah.
1: Like, if you're seen dating this person, you're going to be looked at differently.
0: Right. It's the, it's the standard and the expectation of, um, if I'm seen with you... If I'm associated with you, then the things associated with you are then put on me.
1: There will be so many discipleship talks for a scene talking in the courtyard. Um, Oh
0: my gosh.
1: It's crazy that like that was 10 years later that incident happened. Like from 810 to 21, like that is the image they managed to uphold around the church. Like reputation hurt around the church, like insane kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. But yeah, so it's like that was the reputation given to me, I guess. So growing up in the church that we did was, I was, thank God, thank God I was an optimist. (laughs) Or I would have jumped off the nearest cliff, but I was just like, oh, it's fine. This is how it works. I thought this was normal. All of us did. Yeah. That's all we knew. So normal that it didn't, it didn't destroy my confidence until I was like, Late teens.
0: Oh, good. Give you a couple years. Good.
1: You know, I thought it was normal for like preteen camp or whatever, like the junior camp that we went to, to constantly be pulled aside and talked to, and kept right. like the little groups that they put you in, and like told to stay away from people. And then, like at that point, it had been a couple years since any big incident, and they were still talking about it. And I was like, y'all just drop it. <laughs> you're ruining my camp. Like that was the thing is like, those camps are not heavily monitored and somehow I was still heavily monitored.
0: Oh yeah. And the thing is too, like like so many of these things, when we went to camp. Every year it was kind of that unspoken, well sometimes spoken, but the thing of like, oh I wonder when, how long it'll take Lisa to get pulled aside. Yeah. So many things looking back, but also so many things when we were experiencing them just didn't make sense. But because... It was all we knew. We were like, oh, no, that is the sense.
1: It was like, it's one of those things of like, we thought it was normal. And when we ran it by our parents, our parents were like trying to not question the church. So they'd be like, oh, I guess <laughs> uh, the best to our knowledge, this is how this works. But our parents did get pretty, pretty mad. Like my dad.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Started getting mad at the leaders for pulling me aside. And that is when he developed the phrase, she's an easy target. And that was the phrase for the whole, my entirety of my life, because I am. And camps were brutal to say the least. Like I wasn't allowed to go to my first teen camp.
0: Mm -hmm. Which for people listening, preteen camp is middle school, teen camp is high school.
1: Yeah. So my first year of teen camp, I was told I wasn't mature enough or ready.
0: Ready for, for camp? For camp. For for water balloons and bonfires and, 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 and devos? Like, yeah. what?
1: Like, the thing that's supposed to bring you closer to God, I wasn't ready for. But, I mean, I dealt with it to the best of my ability, I guess. It kind of was just, like, it was one of those things of, like, I was the scapegoat for years and years and years. At the end of it all, I got kicked out of the teens- Um, I deserve kicked out of the teens for that though. I was, I was spiraling.
0: Yeah, but you were, and that's that's the thing too, you were going through a lot.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, my mom had cancer at the time. My dad had brain tumor and then I was going through like depression and like suicidal ideation and self-harm. Yeah. (laughs) It was like, I was still getting like, I was still getting beat up kind of a thing. And I was like trying to reach for anything and then I was yeah. like out kind of the teens for a good reason because I was being a bad influence. I was not being a good influence anymore.
0: But at the same time, like sure, a bad influence, but you're going through all this stuff and you are going to church on Fridays and Sundays and whatever other day where you'd hope to have some real friends who can lift you up and that can be maybe like your your place to center yourself in a perfect scenario. And you go to churches and you still have all this stuff attached to you of of all these different shame things and guilt things and people not wanting to be associated with you and these labels. And no one wants to associate with you. And so so you have all that going on. You go there and you just get even more of, of worse stuff. Does that sound right?
1: I guess it was kind of, it was like, so I wasn't kicked out of the teens until... 17, 16, 17, but I was kicked out teen camp first. So I, the crazy thing is, I think I only went for two years um to teen camp and one of the years I got kicked out. You talk about confession night occasionally. And so that yeah. thing, oh God, confession night pisses me off because literally I was pulled out of my group and told that my stuff was too heavy for them.
0: Okay, so- I'm going to chime in once again, because you keep invoking things from me, like these rageful thoughts. In my book, the third chapter, which by now is already released, this is episode seven, was all about confession night, or a lot of places call it cry night for people, because people get emotional and cry. That's a whole different thing. That starts when you're like, I don't know, 14, 15, I don't know, but when you're young and goes through high school, and it's one of those things where it's like, oh, it's a good thing, because you're confessing your sins, and it's not a bad thing, sure, you're, to put people, these high schoolers in a situation where you're, you're kind of forced to do this, if you don't want to, I'm sure you could tell someone they'd let you step out, but you'd be looked down upon a little bit for not rising to the occasion. It'd be one of those things where, oh, he didn't join his group and confess he's not ready or he's not mature enough or something. So you, you, you never backed out unless there was some right. really big excuse. To have that expectation of, no, you need to do this and confess your sins. To pour your heart out and actually do it, and then we pulled aside and go, no, not that stuff. That's too much. Like, did it send you into a place like not knowing where to stand with it? Like, I'd be like, well, what do I do? Where would I? Where, where do I sit with this?
1: It was It was more of just like, it was like, okay, so you guys will really be bonded after this. And I really wanted to bond with my cabin because they were great girls. And then like, I guess it was like five minutes in or whatever, they were like, no, no, no. We're going to take Lisey and we're going to take her over here. And I was like, okay. And then it was yeah. like, and they were like yeah we don't think those girls are ready to hear any of your stuff but you can tell us and i was like you're in high school
0: people know people hear everything in high school
1: literally i was like my stuff isn't that bad like i mean i have i'm depressed but that's about it i was like boys but they were assuming that i was doing like all of i think they had an assumption of like oh lisey's doing all stuff with all these boys and i was like sure i even had my first kiss like i was probably better than most of these teen girls no offense to
0: them And that's one of those things too where because of the 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 labels that have been put on you people just assumed you were the the person doing all the stuff all the time they're like oh lisa's i mean the way lisa's being treated by leaders and the way she's being repercussioned is if that's the right way to use that word the way things she's being treated,
1: reprimanded, logic,
0: logic, reprimanded. Yeah, the, <laughs> logically, I would assume she's doing some pretty bad stuff. And your mind goes, oh, I'm sure she's doing all this kind of stuff with all these guys, whatever. Which we always thought, oh, she's doing all this stuff. You never even kissed a guy. I mean, except for my peck on the cheek, which wasn't even that's not even the same <laughs> that's
1: thing. The highlight of my life, by the way.
0: <laughs> right, you're right. Like that's like the only thing ever that's like on my resume is like, oh, I did this. But that's like all you had done in terms of like that kind of stuff. And it's like. You were looked at as someone who was doing all of this stuff. And I remember all my guy friends talking about, like, we we just assumed you were. We didn't know, but we assumed you were. Yeah. And I was just like, yeah, that's, that's, oh, it's Lisi. Yeah, of course.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. And so I was already, like, an outcast, more or less. And then, so I wasn't allowed around the boys of our ministry.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Like, it was, like, put to me by our leader, as, like, hey, I just don't want you hanging out with them. You need to focus on your girl relationships. And I was like, okay, that's fair. That's fine. But where were sure. all the girls hanging out with the boys? So I wasn't sure hanging out with the girls because they were around the boys. So I was like, all right, well, I guess. And
0: just to clarify, right, this is that camp you're talking about. So in normal church schedule at home, it wasn't like this as much. But at camp, it was a little bit different because at camp, there were less eyes on you and people knew that you had less overbearing control people trying to monitor stuff so that was like your four and a half days of like your chance to make (laughs) connections if you like somebody to make make it not official get closer to them but like it was your chance to actually talk to them without being reprimanded unless someone saw you for a long time so at camp at camp was everyone was trying to was trying to co-mingle
1: yeah so i would i was still trying to hang out with people because i wasn't bonded to a lot of the girls a lot of the girls weren't my friends sure. and so essentially i had a few guy friends who like the mutual friend i tried to date and then my best friend from when we were kids um and so i hung out with them a lot and so me hanging out with them and i was around a couple of the guys but so the team leaders just like They zoned in on me and they were like, she's hanging out with boys. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm, I'm, I'm what? Yes, I am. And then they were like, they made it known that nobody could be, no men were allowed to be within five feet of me. And I was like, okay. uh
0: What kind of rule even is that? (laughs) Like, it's like COVID wasn't a thing yet. God
1: it means I wasn't allowed to sit at the table with our ministry at lunch. I had to sit at a completely empty table by myself.
0: Like, this is just, I mean, having experienced it, it's just like reliving these painful memories, but it's like, someone who hadn't grown up in this, this is like absolute absurdity. It's crazy. It's so far detached from what should be normal.
1: And that's the crazy thing is I hadn't done anything besides confessing yeah. that I liked boys. Like, God forbid I do the thing that the, but it's in the Bible. You're allowed to like boys. Okay. And so like, I, I was just still very open and honest, which is a miracle in itself. The fact that I was still willing to be open and honest with my leaders and my D group. Yeah. Like the fact that I wasn't hiding stuff. And at this point, all the other girls were like watering down their D group times. Their oh, oh, all sure. of course
0: Because they were terrified about being, what would happen if they said the real thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, like mine 100% stood out more because they weren't watered down. They were like, hey, I think this yeah. is really cute. And he winked at me and it made me have this thought. And they were like, oh, the horror. And I was just like, um, my bad.
0: That's just honesty. Like, isn't that what you're striving for in a church like that is to be, is that that level of honesty?
1: I feel like their goal, okay, this is a side note, but I feel like their goal should be that if you're a kingdom kid, you want them to eventually want to marry each other because they're in the church. But if you're just yeah. relationships as a kid, there ain't no way they're going to want to look at each other as adults and be like, I want to have children with you. No.
0: I mean, that, that goes to a whole different thing too, is it, when you're in a place to date and older, you're heavily, heavily encouraged to date and marry somebody either in your ministry or in the ministries that are like, on the approved list, like very, because like, everyone else has bad theology or not real Christians or or whatever. Right. So, we have a very small dating pool of acceptability, at least in terms of what our leaders would say was what they would encourage you to do. So to have that standard and then to go, oh no, we can't have you hanging out with these guys because we're just you need to not be friends. Like, what do you, what do you, what do you do?
1: <laughs> Seriously, it's like it's one of those things of like I'm like they did not think this through at all. Yeah. Oh, God. So. It was, I got kicked out that year from teen camp Yeah. Uh, for, I I kid you not, their reasoning, the exact reason given to my parents, she was talking to boys too much. I was like, that, 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 that's, that's your, what? If I could go back, I would have stood up to them. Yeah. Like, I genuinely would. Oh, have, I bet. You now how stupid you look right now sending me home for this? Look at yourself. And I would have like made references to Jesus and destroyed them with my scriptural knowledge. But oh, sure. I'm yeah. devastated that I was getting sent home. I take your verse and I raise
0: you a verse.
1: <laughs> right? Like I would have been like, uh, Jesus would shun you right now, you Pharisee. Like get out of my face.
0: If I could go back, man, I would go back to that teen camp where we were just getting reprimanded just over and over again in front of our ministry. I'd be like, what the heck are you making us do? Tell me why. And I'll do it. Sure. Tell me why.
1: Seriously. Backstreet
0: boy. <laughs> Tell me why.
1: <laughs> yeah, I would just I would have been like, no, I'm not apologizing. I he kissed me on the cheek. Get over it. Be an adult. I literally would have been like, Deal with your ministry, be adults. Goodbye. I'm gonna go be a kid. I wish I could have said these things. I feel like our ministry would have turned out okay. Like I could go back and fix these things. Like, maybe they would have learned sooner on that, like, oh, that's not a pro- That's not how you lead people. That's not how you deal with children.
0: Yeah. Bottom line, that's not how you deal with children, period. <laughs> I said this earlier about um, kind of the intention, and I feel like, not all cases, clearly, but in a lot of these cases, the intention was good. I think it came from, I mean, they're leaders in the church. They don't put their... For doing a crime. Like they're not on probation. Like they're not on parole having to be a church leader, right? So like they they chose to do it. They care about the kids. I believe 95% of the cases, all the leaders we dealt with cared about us. And they wanted the best for us. But when you make decisions, I feel like, and the big thing of this is making decisions for us based out of the fear of what we will do wrong, rather than the faith that we will excel and not do anything wrong because of what they've sewn into us, hopefully. I think that was the main dynamic is, no, we're doing these things. We're putting these things in in place. So you don't do things wrong because we don't trust that you'll do the right thing. When all we do every Friday and Sunday is try to teach you guys, Jesus and God. So you'll be able to do the right thing anyway, as if those are correlated all the time. And I think what that creates in my, from my perspective is it creates a group of people Not encouraged to strive to seek successful relationship with God or a deeper faith, but constantly afraid um, at letting God down and not—or letting down people around them, too, the leaders and the church. So it's this whole dynamic of, oh, everything I do now is going to be out of fear of stepping on the wrong foot or over that line or over that line rather than, oh, my gosh, I've been given these things. I am motivated to just seek God or seek what my heart is telling me. Oh, that's right. Which— I think, is the ideal situation, which was not what we were given very often. Some At some points, yes, but overall very seldomly, at least from my experience growing up in the youth ministry at our church.
1: Yeah. Um, I feel like a lot of their intent was good, but they came from a place of not being taught properly because... Um,
0: sure. Oh yeah, they're just saying the things they, they were taught most of the time. Yeah.
1: That's the thing is like I'm looking at like the leaders who were taught by so... The church we grew up in split off from another church.
0: A bigger organization, right.
1: A lot of the base of their teachings was don't let them do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. A lot of control. Yeah. And so they they did a lot of that with our teen ministries. Like, even my sister's generation, like, my sister got kicked out of the teens and had to write a letter of apology. Gosh. Because she dated a guy. Yeah. Like, Like, can you believe that? A boy. She had to read it in front of the entire teen ministry.
0: Yeah, a teenager dating a guy. It's like, no, no, no. Write a letter apologizing for your sins.
1: And Okay, so you know what's so crazy is they create such a neighborhood watch level of monitoring throughout the church. The same thing happened to me when I was dating our mutual friend. Both of our parents knew, though, that we were dating. Sure. So we were seen walking down the street, like arms around each other, whatever. I I still, to this day, my mom won't tell me who it was who called her. Called her and was like, oh, Your daughter was seeing rap all over this boy. And my mom was like, They're dating, calm down.
0: Like they they are uh you were in college
1: at that point? Uh yeah, I was twenty-one.
0: So They're I- 20 20 freaking one, dude. It's it's and th- these are all I think whole other conversations, different pranks we're going off of. But one thing is like it's as if in a church ecosystem in a soul church. They act like every single practice or ideology that the leader in question has is expected to be followed to a T by every member. And that has to be their own personal creed, too, for things that the Bible says nothing about. But if they take a stance on this, then every member must have the same conviction or else they're in sin or doing something wrong, where nothing like that is bad. But for your own personal conviction, it may be over a boundary for you. Then it's great. That's what boundaries are for. You make them yourself and you decide, that's healthy for me. That's where I want to be, whatever. And if you're a Christian, then that's where I want to be. and That's where God is leading me to whatever, all that kind of stuff. But all these members see someone doing something they think that the leaders won't agree with or that they don't agree with. And like, nope, that's crossing the line. That's sin or that's wrong and whatever. And then expect you to have to take accountability for it. And most of the time you're forced to. And it's like, I don't agree that it was wrong but yet you're telling me I am and you have more authority than I do, so I guess I am.
1: Like I felt like they were more in touch with God than I was, because obviously I was the black sheep, so what do I know? (laughs) Yeah. So I figured they knew what they were talking about and that I was supposed to do what these leaders said because that's kind of how we were raised, is like they have authority from God. But it's like, as we were raised, it's like, I want to talk about like the leader worship. Yeah. Of like the fact that, Throughout the years, it went from, like, I got to know Jesus when I was in preteens. And I really loved God and Jesus and everything about that in those days. And then it changed as soon as, like, I started loving him. I really got, like, into, like, let's study the Bible. Let's do all this. And it changed. They changed the way it was kind of a thing where it was, it wasn't defining if God would approve of your actions it was like do we approve of your actions and therefore god so that instead of me looking to god for approval or my bible i was always like i should ask this leader
0: yeah and oftentimes it was tied in directly with what the leaders decreed is what god decrees right so no need to go to your bible really but just listen to us and we'll lead you the right way
1: right so i started worshiping these leaders as like the one truth and i lost who god was along the way so by the time i left i had to re-find who god was and like it was it's it's so crazy to me because like i guess skipping ahead a little bit when i finally got baptized <laughs> what's so insane is it took me forever to get baptized and i was like 18 19 when i got baptized and went through the studies one of the main leaders who i grew up with
0: cuz at, at our church at our church if you want to get baptized there was a series of curated studies that were made by one of our leaders a long time ago that are like the quintessential here's the bible here's the main points here's what you need to know in order to be qualified to get baptized kind of
1: yeah and you go through these
0: studies yes
1: um you had a bunch of hoops you had to jump through there was homework and then like
0: homework every week where if you didn't do it or the right way you couldn't do the study the next week they wouldn't let you go to the next study do it yeah. They
1: didn't get the right point out of this scripture they gave you to analyze. How wild is that? But then at the end of your studies, we all knew that you had to write a sin list.
0: Right. The sin list. Every sin that ever comes to mind of anything you've ever done in your life.
1: Oh my gosh. Mine was 21 pages, color-coded four points.
0: <laughs> Mine was like like three-fourths of a page. <laughs> like I mean the thing is, the thing is though, that should in that context. That would be looked at as valiant. And at and, a and, and point, is, in terms of like the heart of it, that is, that's not bad at all. That's like, oh, you're you actually authentic about it. But yet it was in a system that was very twisted. So keep going. Anyway, that was a side note.
1: It's funny because remembering reading my swim list, I remember them rushing me through it because it was so long.
0: It's like we have like an hour and a half here. This is going to take three days.
1: Um, so it was like my studies were with one of the main leaders who I grew up with because I thought, at the time, I I mean, God bless younger me for having such a naive sweetheart and thinking that because she knew me so well, she should be a part of my studies. Oh God, do I regret that. Oh no. Not that she was a bad person, but like her judgment she had placed on me, I think just without even meaning to, was that I was the black sheep. She was a big part of putting that black sheep name on me. And so my studies were very like based on purity. And I was like, okay.
0: Go figure. As we all were. I was like, what about purity? Yeah. The It's got 10 octaves lower. It's like, what about purity? It's like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, purity is, you know, it's in flux. Like, how about you write it down? It's like, okay. How many seconds do you look at them for without blinking? It's like, I don't know.
1: <laughs> exactly. Literally. Oh, my God. No. How many? How long did you give them a side hug for?
0: Oh, my God. Like, that's like not an exaggeration. Like, not even like, it wasn't even just. Do a side hug and not a real hug. It's like, no, no, no. How long was that side? That was a little, kind of it's lingered so there for a little while, buddy. It's like, I don't know about that. Oh what are your intentions? It's like, my intentions? Human connection. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Anything.
1: As to tough as a child, leave me alone.
0: <laughs> yes. I don't want to be weird. Please. I need a human touch.
1: Literally. So a lot of my studies were on that instead of, I don't want to say instead of God, but Like, I feel like a lot of the scriptures that were used were very pointed. And then, like, you know how, like, most people, hate to say, they try to break your spirit by making you watch the, uh, what is it? Passion of the Christ. Passion of the Christ. They try to break. Which is a
0: great film, I think, side note. Just from a filmmaker's perspective, it's a great film. Great film. But the way. You're required to use it at the end of your studies, near the very end, to, like, solidify or torment you or traumatize you or make you like, wow, this guy was so brutally murdered.
1: If you did you were looked at differently
0: yeah and it was made by mel gibson it's like it wasn't made by jesus it was mel gibson like okay cool it was great good film
1: <laughs> our church is like done, based on mel gibson's movie
0: <laughs> right it goes like genesis Exodus, leviticus numbers book the book of mel gibson and then it keeps going like that's a required part of the studies it's like it's if like, it was breathed by scripture this it's like everyone on the crew of that film was like one of the apostles all 12 of them were there
1: oh, and they were God. making that film the irony is that most people are like, yeah, you watched this Passion of the Christ with your disciples. They didn't care if I watched it or not <laughs> <laughs> at all. They were like, oh, what movie convicts you the most? And I said, son of God, because that one makes me time because you get really attached to Jesus in that movie. And then they murder him.
0: I said Air Bud. Air Bud is my most convicting <laughs> movie. Please. <laughs> Harry Potter three.
1: Airbud Bud goes to church. That one. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but that, that's that's interesting, though that they didn't require you to watch that, which is in general how it should be. But in this system, it's weird because everyone had to.
1: They made me watch Son of God, but at home with my parents. My parents fell asleep during it. And by wow. one, and so oh, they're
0: can't... not real Christians then.
1: Yeah, I you know, <laughs> can't. help me finish it. But like, that's the thing is like, in order to get baptized, the last uh, homework assignment they gave me, they had me write an essay.
0: Oh, no. Wait, wait. So if you're sinless, was 21 pages. Yeah. How long is this essay?
1: so this was the leader who i thought knew me so well and did so much damage
0: um so so he, much damage was done so
1: much damage. <laughs> <laughs> she met well um he made me write an essay um about how i was the harlot in the bible
0: oh my oh you calling, told me about this yes, Oh my! calling
1: God. men away from jesus
0: can you like that crosses if if, if lines were not already crossed in this conversation if That crosses so many lines. And you were, what, 18? Yeah. That is so abusive. Mentally, (laughs) emotionally, spiritually. That is unreal.
1: Like, it's just... And so I was like, uh, how do I write that? Like, I had not physically done anything with a guy yet. Like, to that... And I was like, I don't think that I'm pulling people away from Jesus. But okay. All right. I'll write this essay. Cause I need to get Just back to there. say
0: that about you. You're the harlot. You're pulling men away from Jesus. Write an essay about how convicted you are about that fact. Who are you lady?
1: I was like, all right, that's a little harsh for, uh, you're talking yeah. virgin here, but okay. That's a
0: little harsh.
1: I was like, it's a little much. It's a little dramatic, but okay. So I was like, okay. So I wrote this, I wrote this essay and she deemed it acceptable.
0: Oh my God. She graded it an A minus.
1: Right, and so then they baptized me, but they made it a. They were like, "I was like, cool, do I get to date guys after this."
0: Because that was often a thing too, where it was like, once you're once you're baptized, which wasn't really true, because it was so hard still. <laughs> but it was like once you're baptized, I think it was one of those things where it was
1: you had to date. at some po-
0: at some points at some points kind of like 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 a an incentive as a package bundle of oh get baptized and there yeah. may be a better chance you can you can date.
1: Yes, you will be which more which wasn't approved. usually true. It will be more approved. And so that was the thing of like um so I was like do I get to date guys after this because that had been my goal? We'll see. Me. Yeah. And they were like, "Well, here's the thing. We think that you should wait a year and then we'll do a review of how your year went."
0: A review, a year in review for being a deci- a, a, a Christian like that's so stupid.
1: Of whether I deserved to date guys or whether I would hinder them in their walk with God.
0: How much of a threat you were.
1: I essentially, we're doing a threat assessment. Um, And so I still have that somewhere. And it's, I'm funny and they did not appreciate me because the jokes were made on, I made it typed out and there were jokes and memes at the end.
0: No joke. Oh, you showed me this, I think yes, at some point.
1: I did. And it's freaking hilarious.
0: It's so funny funny but also traumatically really sad
1: it's just it's so sad but it's so funny because i'm like my year interview i did okay could i do better definitely and like the things that i had to like put there was like hmm i liked this guy hmm like all this stuff and so my first year as a disciple um there was a guy who was studying the bible and he started to like me and i liked him back and i was like that's kind of (laughs) cool so he would come at work and he'd buy me lunch and whatnot and it was literally nothing but because he was seen interacting with me he was told he wasn't allowed to be around me i was told that i was hindering his walk with jesus and i was like we are not doing anything literally we just admitted we liked each other and we're hanging out at events and you're
0: 18 19 i don't know around that age
1: Adults like it's fine like i'm not doing and so then I he was told by his disciples to stay away from me because he was like, hey, could I take her on a date? Like and they were like, no, you can't ever date her. You can't do that. Not until you're a disciple. And then crazy. That he's off limits. And he stopped studying the Bible and left because he was like, that's a huge red flag. I'm not OK. Good.
0: With that. I'm glad he did that.
1: Yeah. And so he hit me up later and was like, if you ever want to, like, be friends again, you have my group me um, and <laughs> my phone number. Uh, I'm out of here. Nuts, and I was like, "Valid point." That is a
0: green flag. Yeah,
1: yeah. And so I was like, "All right, valid point, bro." Um, and then so as <laughs> that happened, they blamed yeah. me. They were like, "You were, you are the harlot in the Bible. you we were pulling that away from Jesus." And I was like, "Y'all are scaring them off. Y'all are scaring people." That just, that
0: just infers if a guy just likes you and you're pulling him away, that infers indirectly that you're just like on the opposite spectrum from where Jesus is, just innately. I'm like, like what, what does that do to your just literally s- this self of Sense of everything. I don't know. What
1: does it did to do to your psyche? Yeah, exactly. Right. You are just so bad. And so literally I was like, okay, uh, this is bad. So they went and put out a bulletin to every other Bible talk near us, essentially, all of the men's groups and said, oh my "God, seen within like five feet of, or talking to any of the guys, tell them to stay away from her, get them away from them.
0: This is like 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 a, 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 an actual criminal like posted up on a Seven Eleven like you stole from them like not allowed here if you see this face call the cops.
1: Pretty much, and I was like, "Oh, that sucks, man." Because um, I think it happened like twice where people left after being told they couldn't date me because uh-huh, I am a prized commodity, <laughs> and so it's like. It was crazy because, like, they were like put on high alert that if I was within any of their references. And so I wasn't allowed near any of the guys. Like, it got to such a crazy level that the women in my Bible talk, God bless their souls for being so brainwashed, but they would see me in the courtyard talking to a boy after church. And they would literally come and form a circle around me and walk me away mid conference. It's like,
0: it's like Monsters Inc. 2319! <laughs> 2319! Pretty bad! The sock on the back.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what it was. So wild because yeah. the poor guy would be so confused that this circle yeah. of women is glaring at him while slowly marching away with the girl he was talking to in the center it's
0: like who is this demon girl that was and he was
1: like, what is talking that? to like what in the weird church thing okay uh, and I was like y'all are making a bad impression but
0: whatever and to be these these grown women are they were the adult women Yes. to be so concerned oh, with the dating life of an 18 year old 19 year old girl like don't you have better things to do
1: Okay. So every, so I was in the church for two years as a disciple after that. So each year we had that review. The second review was, I kid you not, 10 minutes. They went, as, <laughs> and I was like, I don't think I did good. And they go, neither do we. Goodbye. And I was just like, That's well, just that's
0: so fine. bad. So I have a question for you. If hypothetically, if you had just gone in there and they asked you how you thought you did, and you said, and you genuinely thought you did amazing, would they have taken that as an answer? No. Or they have said, uh, i don't think so
1: they would have been like eh, i don't think so because mind you i was still in the d group confessing things every sunday yeah. so they would take that and then they'd like they were just like invest yeah. which was so wild to me is the fact that like what
0: How-
1: like from age what 10 until 21 i was the i was the i was the it girl i was the one that was the <laughs> whole world the church Jesus himself like if Jesus himself came in I would try and marry him kind of a thing. Oh and my like, god. keep her away. You know, like they were like if Jesus came in she'd make him fall away and I was like, yeah, he wouldn't wow. want to be in the church. <laughs> you know. Even
0: this place, I don't know, man.
1: And I'm like it was like my dating life was the main topic of the church for the my entire life. I was the main topic. I was like Everyone or rather,
0: her. making sure there was no dating line. There was
1: none. You know, there was just like, no, don't like her. Yeah. She's terrible. And everyone was like, but she's so something. There's something we like she's somewhere in there. <laughs> but it's like, so yeah, I tried to date that other friend and he wasn't a disciple at the time. And
0: oh, they, that's a no no.
1: They destroyed our friendship because they, I told him, I was like, hey, I would like for you to study the Bible and be a disciple so that we could date. And he was like, okay, so he was willing to do it. And so we kind of went through some of the hoops and they were like, oh, because you guys have already had some interactions, let us help you with this dating thing. And so they convinced us they would let us keep dating. But we had to have this meeting and talk about it so they could give us like how to's. We sat down with these leaders who we hadn't really interacted with, but were kind of they were like in charge of the singles. And one of them is like the daughter of one of the like elders. her husband, so we sit down and we're having this conversation we're just kind of talking through our relationship and they were like no, no no you need to tell us everything you guys have done and i was like what do you mean and they were like any sexual thing you guys have ever done
0: and like, we were why like, do you why are they somehow qualified <laughs> to know that information in the like, general
1: you don't need to know that like i was like, like so why uncomfortable by that but like so yeah. like they cried it out of us which is just so was so uncomfortable so we're sitting there but like why are you like Uh, This is really awkward. You guys are smiling at us. This is so awkward. Right. And so they essentially were like, great, that we know that. And so then they were trying to study the Bible with him. And so then we were informed that because of what we had done or liked each other or whatever, um, we couldn't be friends anymore. We couldn't talk to each other until he was a disciple. And even might not have been able to date.
0: Like, we'll help you. Just tell us everything. Oh, because of that. Nope. Sorry. Literally. It's all a trap.
1: I was like, What? And so they destroyed our friendship in the way of they made it so uncomfortable for us to be near each other. And they put it in our heads that like I was dragging. I, so I had several talks with these leaders who were like, you are impeding his spiritual walk by continuing to try to date him during like this. Time.
0: The weight, just the weight of that statement for yeah. anybody of any age is a lot, man. Cause when they the like, church.
1: Yeah. They were like, you need, he needs to be focusing on loving Jesus. And right now he's loving you. And I was like, what?
0: I was like, Oh, my God.
1: Before that, what? And so it just became so awkward and uncomfortable, and we didn't know what to do that it destroyed our friendship, so we just stopped talking. We, like, mutually agreed that we had to stop dating and talking and even being Just for friends. the best. We were like, we should go back to being friends, and then we just didn't talk to each other for a very long time. It was super awkward, and then yeah. really, we actually are good friends again. <laughs> like, now oh, good. We're, we were able to, like, talk through it and, like, stuff like that, so... It's one of those things of like, it's a rare happy ending where you still get to keep that friendship. But so it's like, my entire life, they just they monitored me, they kept it so that like, I felt terrible. And it's funny, because I was talking to this therapist, and she was telling me as I was like, going through these things, I'm like laughing and whatnot. And she's like, wait, you don't realize how traumatic these are, do you? And I was like, a little bit but I think they're they're ironic and funny to look back on and she's like these destroyed your self-image like as a teenager and young adult like these destroyed your sexuality like your image of your sexual self your personality and like your individual like it every time that you displayed any kind of independence or personality traits they would destroy that and make you the enemy and she goes that mm. is just so cruel And she goes, that is cruel and not fair to you. And the repercussions, I can't even imagine. And I'm like, yeah, I have a bunch of repercussions in my life from it, which is crazy. It's like, I'm like, I'm realizing that like, when I look at myself, I don't, I don't associate with, I don't know how to put it yet, but I don't really associate like myself deeply until I'm beating myself up. (laughs) Like, associate myself with the negatives. of like the positives and the mundane stuff, I don't really put like a really big, like, hey, that's totally me. That's my personality trait. But when right. I think about myself, I'm like, if it's something really negative, I'm like, oh, that's so me. <laughs> like, It's much
0: easier and more natural to just associate with the negative parts.
1: Because that was most of my life. And I'm like, oh, yeah, probably because like, I realized it when like, I was going through college, and they'd be like, name four cool things about yourself. And I'd be like, I have no- i'm have. i a harlot <laughs> i grew up in a cult like <laughs> yeah, god, I'm, like,
0: yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> I'm like i don't have anything cool that i did because i literally like i started college late because i was told to let god tell me when to do that
0: uh and you wanted to You're- i wanted to go did- to
1: college i wanted to. yeah talk- but they were like no, no no don't do any of that kind of a thing and I was like that's so insane to me that that's what they thought. They were like, "No." And like I'm like they misinterpret those scriptures so badly where they're like, "Oh, let God advise you." And I'm like, "No, no. God helps those who ask. You got to ask and you got to you got to have some yeah. program to do that." So, yeah, you
0: got to actually talk to him to know what he says. But I was going to make that same point. I was going to say like throughout this entire conversation, the the levity and the weight of so many of the things we're talking about are really monumental and so not normal but yet we're both of us but especially you are are, are able to just talk about it like lightly with, and it's just like I was, gonna, I was gonna bring it up a little while ago like these are really weighty things and it's crazy how it's kind of a coping thing in some parts and for both of us i think but but it's also just a, having to slowly be able to associate with it to a place where like wow that was n- not just playfully oh those kid things were weird it was like no that was like damaging
1: right yeah we don't realize how heavy they are more or less or like they're so every day they were our entire lives and so we're like yeah that's normal it's fine
0: it was our entire lives that, that <laughs> was that was the thought the, the the church's perspective and ideology was the perspective ideology that guided our entire youth lives. Yeah. And the lens through which we saw everything, because we were taught to.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay, so I want to bring it back around. I I know this episode is based off of chapter seven of the book and is about guy-girl relationships. I wanted this episode to be kind of just a place and time to tell your story, because I know a lot of it kind of centers around that aspect. Um, But I want to bring it back around specifically to the conversation about how churches navigate guy-girl dynamics. And I want to ask you this, what would you say to these churches specifically? I mean, I'm talking specifically about churches that navigate guy-girl relationships and the dynamics in unhealthy way. What would you say to those churches?
1: I guess, honestly, the way that, I mean, in a few of the conversations I've had over the years of trying to walk through my years in the church and walk through the trauma that happened, I've had a few conversations with a few of the leaders and the way that I tried to pose it was honestly through the vise of, um, this is going to sound kind of dumb in my brain, but WWJD of how would Jesus
0: do it? <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Um, because I feel like that's where they all start is they all start in like hey we want to guide you towards jesus and somehow you know we are humans so it gets lost in translation and so when i have those conversations or if i ever get to have those conversations i tend to try and guide the conversation less towards because usually okay so that conversation usually goes with them apologizing and then them explaining their behavior of like we were just trying to do what we knew what was best with what we had And me going, you know what? I totally understand that. We are human after all. But our goal as Christians is to be as much like Jesus as we can. So every time that you see yourself stepping in excessively into a teenager's life um, and making them confess their sins or telling them that the outfit they're wearing is making somebody else struggle or that they're responsible for somebody else's lives of like, you're responsible for your brother's not sinning or whatever that is in the teen ministry or in the adult singles ministry, I I feel kind of bad, but I usually cut them off. And I'll be like, if Jesus was in that same situation, what do you think he would do? And yeah. usually it leaves them either like thinking about what they did or thinking about how they could change that behavior instead of them being like, what would, well, For example, what would Austin do? You know, because Austin... What would
0: Austin... That's a great question. (laughs) It really is.
1: What would Austin do? Austin would change this person's behavior and nag them until they changed that or something, you know?
0: Whoa, I don't know (laughs) if I would do that. (laughs) Keep, 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 Keep going. I'm sorry.
1: Um, But like, obviously, it brings them into the mindset of like, Jesus wouldn't behave this way or Jesus never behaved this way. And... If they try to be like, yeah, I'm acting in their best interest, by the way, I think Jesus would. And so I usually will bring up, be like, well, you know, in this scripture, Jesus didn't stone the woman. Or in this scripture, Jesus befriended the tax collector. And in this situation, he never told them, you have to change the way you are or you can't be a part of my church.
0: That's. Really true.
1: Which has been a big conversation recently, honestly, with a lot of the leaders or a lot of the people who left is we've been having that conversation of Jesus never said, follow me or die. Follow me or go to hell. Follow me or. He said, follow me if you want to. Up to you. I love you regardless. Like, you're still my children. Yeah. Of like, there was no demand to follow or go to hell. It was always just like, hey, I will heal you and I'm here for you. There was no, you have to change your behavior to be loved.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's funny, that idea of having this mold. I think a lot of churches, sometimes, you know, unconsciously, but oftentimes intentionally have a mold that a wannabe member has to fit in order to become a member and be accepted there. And when people don't fit that mold, they don't fit there. Right, and I think it's funny because Jesus was very much the opposite. Where not only did he not have a mold to follow him, anybody could he, the people that he sought out to join his community, were almost always the people who didn't fit the molds of their respected communities. They were always the outliers, and those are the people that Jesus chose to form his. We are a community. The church is a community, or should be, that not only accepts but welcomes those who don't fit elsewhere. Personally, I think there are two things that I would tell churches that are kind of caught navigating and perceiving guy-girl dynamics in in an unhealthy way. I would say these two things. I'd say number 1, you can trust us. I feel like considering that this is an environment, the church, where pretty much any time we're together, leaders and, 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 and youth kids, the time is being spent of them sewing into us things to make us be able to navigate our spiritual lives and our faith. Yet, despite that, it feels like in the times when we're left to our own devices, we're treated as if that investment time has never happened and we haven't been being sewn into to be stronger believers. If the people, the leaders, the adults, the parents, the other people around us don't trust us and act as if we are not trustworthy, then there is no way that we ourselves will trust ourselves. If we're treated like our inward inclination is innately to do something, you know, risky or or over the top or harmful, and that we are always one step away From veering off on our own ambition and our own hearts and just completely screwing things up we will believe it entirely and that was the case for many of us growing up i know you and for me are the same exact thing for many many years so that's the first thing i would say and the second thing i would say is is somewhat tied to this it may help with that first idea and it is that mistakes are okay we can be okay with making mistakes, because God is okay with our mistakes. Not only is he okay with it, but he welcomes them, because he knows mistakes are times where we learn. Perhaps some of the most straightforward and strongest times that we learn. I think sometimes we forget that when we talk about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, we always, that's the basis of our faith, and we proclaim that everywhere, right? Jesus died for the absolute worst of you. I think in Attributing that to the absolute worst parts of us, we often forget that that also includes our mistakes. Jesus didn't just die for, oh, our absolute worst sins and worst trespasses. He died for our mistakes. He died for our everyday mess ups. And it should be a natural conclusion that if He died for this worst stuff, it would include the lesser stuff. But I think sometimes we, for- we don't make the connection that it's all encompassing, it all- it's all included. Our mistakes. And just our regular mess-ups are completely covered, but they're also not overlooked in favor of the worst stuff. And I know there's a lot of Christians that when it comes to their sins, they're fine. They're flying high. Like, I'm good. But yet the day-to-day just mess-ups and simple mistakes, they're freaking out because they're not perfect. And that translates and that spreads onto the people That are in their lives if they're leaders that spreads to the people that they're leading if if it's parents it's to their kids if it's you know whatever else and if we can truly understand and accept the fact that god not only are our mistakes covered but because they're covered god encourages them because we're good if we're good our mistakes are wiped clean and they're covered just like our sins are now it's god saying okay they're good so embrace them don't set out to make them But don't be afraid of doing so because you're going to learn. If we can be okay with our mistakes because we know that God is okay with them, then we won't be afraid of making them. And I mean, this translates in one of the most pertinent ways at a young age to guy and girl dynamics and the way that's that's navigated by churches because the people leading us seem to be in such fear that at every turn or every moment that we're out of their eyesight, we're going to commit the most heinous of crimes or at the very least just mistakes, right? Because in many cases, it seems, at least from my experience, that those leaders themselves have this baggage and these mistakes that they made when they were our age. And they know, oh, mistakes happen. I want to guide them and shield them and protect them from making the same mistakes I did. I get it. It's out of love. But what if we didn't have to fear those mistakes? What if, first off, the things you're sewing into us are going to enable us to navigate and not make those same mistakes, usually, because you're giving us God, which you didn't have in the same way, usually when you were a kid. but. What if we could be okay with these mistakes? And instead of doing everything we can not to mess up, allowing us the freedom to make those mistakes if they so happen. And then when they do, because they will, working it out and telling them, making sure those kids know, nope, God's got you. He's got your mistakes. You're good. What did you learn from this? And having the faith that undoubtedly that kid who would made that mistake, whatever it may be, will learn from it. God will use it to bring him closer to him and teach him more, or her. Because I can guarantee you, I mean, this entire episode today, at least his entire story, if you, as a listener, get nothing out of it but this one thing, I hope it's this one thing, and that is that, as showcased in her story, which resembles many of mine and my friends, the damage done as a result of the extreme measures and precautions taken to reduce the risk of us messing up and making a mistake far surpasses the damage done from actually messing up and making a mistake. And the effects, psychologically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, are far longer lasting. Okay, so Lisi, going off the last question about what you would say to the church, I want to ask you now, what is one thing that you would say to yourself your younger church kid self knowing the things that you know now about god church faith yourself etc
1: oh lord i think i would just i would try to tell her that like she's not a bad person um of like you're not a bad that's a good person one for having a sex drive <laughs> like that's normal. yeah the fact yeah. that these people don't or hide theirs is not normal I feel like because that was like a defining part of learning about all of that. And like when I left the church, the thing is, like the image of being in the church, anything outside of the church, the image I literally had was like, think walking dead.
0: Like, yeah, I do. Like, I love the show.
1: <laughs> like everything on fire, zombies, death. Like, yep. that's what I imagined outside of the high school we met at.
0: Yeah, that's in my book. I say that. That's exactly what I say. It's like the outside just apocalypse.
1: Yeah. Death. And then so once I actually left and like people weren't all evil and mean and it wasn't hell. Like I was like, yeah. it's not all bad. And then like they when I was like, Oh yeah, I have sex the drive, they weren't appalled by this. You know, like it was
0: Oh, it's life. Oh, I didn't know that. I'm not I'm not abnormal.
1: Like they, like, okay, and yeah. And I was like, like I was just so flabbergasted that like I was normal (laughs) like I was not some kind of crazy outrageous like sex drive human like they were like nah, it's normal like boys it's normal to you want to kiss them it's normal
0: (laughs) yeah when you go from a context where such an emphasis is placed on certain things and then go to a different place where it's just not emphasized at all it's not abnormal or special it's like oh I'm so sensitive to those things they were made such a big deal over here and now it's just like oh it's just normal it's just life oh okay
1: (laughs) yeah so i guess i would just i would be like you're not you're not bad and you're not abnormal
0: (laughs) those are really really good because it's i mean it's it's true okay last question this podcast is called the crumpled papers podcast and it's about the idea of crumpled papers which i define as the ideas or beliefs that we may have at one time believed with full certainty, but at some point realize we needed to reevaluate our perspective on, um, which we have a lot growing up. Things that we, we believe with so, such certainty, like maybe that's not the right way to think about that. What is one or a few of the biggest or most important crumpled papers of your own that you have had to unlearn, relearn, or gain a new understanding of?
1: I think, okay, so one of these actually I learned recently from reading your book. Um, ah. Uh, It was the part where you were talking about the fact that you can't surprise God. So therefore you can't disappoint him Um, because he already, like when he made you, he knew everything from beginning to end. So like relearning that. And then I think recently I had been realizing that I still have that habit of like, so a lot of my anxiety is based in the habit that we had to tell everybody everything about our lives. And getting out of that habit, it gives me anxiety when I have something go on in my day or I think of something and I have to run it by one of my friends or else I get severe anxiety about it and I can't process it myself. So I feel like them doing that to us brought us to a place where we have a hard time processing things and relying on our own intuition.
0: That's really good. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so like, I am learning that I have to be able to process things as an adult by myself and rely on my own intuition without running it by five people first.
0: Like I can be my own vetting process. I don't need to outsource the vetting of what I think about something.
1: Yeah. I don't else. everyone else's opinions. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, it's, I feel like that's really important and it's crazy. Cause like, I know friends who can just like make decisions on their own. Of what college <laughs> do. And I'm like,
0: what?
1: How did you do that? And they're like, Uh, I wanted to, so I did it, and I'm like, you didn't have to. Where did you
0: attain this power? (laughs) Yeah,
1: like you didn't have to call all your closest friends and ask them what they thought.
0: Right. (laughs) So
1: I'm like, yeah, I feel like a lot of that, and it's like, yeah, those are two of the things that, as an adult who is like deconstructing their faith, has been really important to learn.
0: That's great, Lisi. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Riley, coming on and. (laughs) and discussing and divulging all of our trauma (laughs) (laughs) yeah if you guys haven't picked up the book my book go pick it up because i want you to buy my book no i'm kidding um but uh you really should you really should it's really great says me it says the person (laughs) i have a gun to right now no but thank you guys for listening uh and we will see you i will see you in the next episode peace out Thanks for hanging with us on this episode of the Crumpled Papers Podcast. The episode may be over, but the conversation's just getting started. If you have any questions or comments, or just want to say hi, send us an email at crumpledpaperspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And make sure to follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things Crumpled Papers. All links are in the description. This is Austin, and I'll see you next time on the Crumpled Papers Podcast.